Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. Coming up on this week's episode, Windows 10 and Windows 11 users have been reporting system freezes after a recent antivirus update. New Dropbox feature that is enabled by default is freaking out some users. And Unify customers report seeing other people's network devices and even security videos in their admin portals. For this and more, keep listening to this episode of the podcast, which of course, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. And that includes Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. And of course, also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. Control up. Happy users, happy IT. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. BleepyComputer.com had an interesting article this week about Miklos Daniel Brody, who is a cloud engineer who was sentenced to two years in prison and a restitution of $529,000 for wiping code repositories belonging to his former employer in retaliation for being fired. The court documents stated that Brody's employment was terminated after he violated company policies by connecting a USB drive containing pornography to company computers. Yeah, that will do it, all right. And following his dismissal, Brody allegedly refused to return his work laptop and instead used his still valid account to access the bank's computer network and cause damages estimated to be above $220,000. Now, not to victim blame in this instance, but, you know, if you fired the guy and you're asking for the machine back, you should probably disable the account. They say that, among other things, Brody deleted the bank's code repositories, ran a malicious script to delete logs, left taunts within the bank's code for former colleagues, and impersonated other bank employees by opening sessions in their names. He also emailed himself proprietary bank code that he had worked on as an employee, which was valued at over $5,000. His access was eventually terminated on March 12, 2020, But by that time, he'd performed some harmful actions, including he ran a malicious script named dar.sh to wipe servers. He deleted Git logs and Git commit history for a particular script, accessed the company's GitHub repository and deleted the hosted code, inserted taunts in the code, like I said, including references to Grok, and also impersonated another cloud engineer at the firm to access the network and make configuration changes. SleepyComputer.com reports that after the incident, Brody falsely reported to the San Francisco Police Department that his company-issued laptop had been stolen from his car. He continued to uphold this story when interviewed by the U.S. Secret Service agents following his arrest in March 2021, but eventually in April 2023, Brody pleaded guilty to lying about the laptop and to two charges concerning violation of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. So I've been doing this podcast for many years now, and multiple times a year I have a story similar to this, where someone who has very privileged access as part of their job gets fired, feels hard done by, 
and then acts out in a very malicious way and it never ends well for them. If you happen to have daydreams of taking down your employer's systems for any reason, uh, maybe seek help because if some bad news comes your way and you get laid off, it is certainly not worth letting your anger take over and retaliating. I can remember I worked at a company before where one of the employees was dating another employee and said employee after breaking up decided to get back at their ex and went in and started deleting things out of Active Directory that caused a lot of problems. And last I heard that guy is still in prison. So it is never worth it. Keep your cool, roll on and find another job. On Wednesday, news quickly spread on social media about a newly enabled by default Dropbox setting that shares Dropbox data with OpenAI for an experimental AI powered search feature. But Dropbox have said that data is only shared if the feature is actively being used. Dropbox says that user data shared with third-party AI partners isn't used to train AI models and is deleted within 30 days. So this is something that is popping up quite a bit now. Obviously, a lot of these organizations that users have been using for a long time hold a lot of data in just even just usage patterns, let alone actual personal data like email addresses and possibly other personal related data that could be linked uh, for creating all kinds of models for AI. But interestingly, the feature in this case appears to have been first highlighted by Winfred Burton on Blue Sky, which is the first time I've noticed an organic post to story materialize from a Blue Sky post. So maybe Blue Sky is uh, coming into its own a little bit as a social media platform. But according to the Dropbox Privacy FAQ, the third-party AI opt-out setting is part of the Dropbox AI Alpha, which is a conversational interface for exploring file contents that involves chatting with the ChatGPT-style bot using an Ask Something About This File feature. To make it work, an AI language model similar to the one that powers ChatGPT, like GPT-4, needs access to your files. According to the FAQ, the third-party AI toggle in your account settings is turned on by default if you or your team are participating in the Dropbox AI Alpha. Still, many people have found that the setting is enabled by default when they check their accounts. So people unbeknownst to them are apparently part of this Dropbox AI Alpha. And if you use Dropbox and you have concerns about this feature, be sure to disable the feature by clicking on your profile photo, going to settings and going to the third party AI settings. Once again, I think this is going to become uh, pretty rampant. There are a lot of services and products with a lot of valuable data on their users. And presumably they're going to be selling or partnering with the AI services for siphoning off some of that data. A considerable number of Windows 11 and Windows 10 customers have been experiencing system freezes with most linking the issues to Avira antivirus. BleepyComputer.com reports 20 seconds after Avira launches on the system, the entire operating system becomes unresponsive. With using a physical power button on your computer's case as the only means to revive the PC with many users reporting the behavior on Reddit. The only known fix at the time of scripting this episode of the podcast is to remove the AV. If you do this, Windows Defender will be re-enabled on the OS, but as usual for antivirus, it can prove difficult to fully remove Avira. 
The first reports of this were over a week ago, so this should not be a Patch Tuesday related issue, and Avira have said that they are investigating it currently. There was an update suggesting there was an update from the company suggesting that a fix will be deployed on Monday, and I published this episode before a fix was available, but hopefully it's available by the time you listen to this. If you are an Avira customer and you're afraid of this might be affecting you, if you haven't noticed it yet and you're listening to this episode, hopefully it's not going to affect you and it's been fixed. WindowsCentral.com reported that Microsoft is looking to nuclear energy to help power their AI initiatives into the future, with the report suggesting the AI power consumption for Microsoft services will exceed a small country's entire annual energy consumption by 2027. Microsoft has partnered with Helion, a tech firm that's slated to start generating nuclear energy through nuclear fusion by 2028. It's also being reported that Microsoft is currently training LLMs to help speed up the regulatory process for nuclear projects. If Microsoft can achieve this feat, then it will have access to an unlimited supply of nuclear energy to power its AI projects. So a little bit worrying, you know, Microsoft is basically buying favor or buying influence to possibly loosen regulations so that they can ramp up power generation through nuclear power, which on its base should be a positive. I think it's being pretty widely accepted that even though there's risks with nuclear energy, nowadays the technology is there to make that risk very minimal and nuclear energy seems to be much more feasible and sustainable in the future. So yeah, in that regard, it sounds like a positive. But in the other regard, Microsoft being a very large company and trying to sway influence to get regulations in their favor is uh, not so <laughs> positive, I think. BleepyComputer.com also reported recently that Box suffered an outage with users reporting getting HTTP error 503, which is usually a services busy type of error, which can happen when a site is down for maintenance, as an example. At the time of scripting this episode, Box has not provided a cause for the outage, but it has been confirmed that the service has been restored. Many users were upset by this outage as it lasted over four hours, at a time people were claiming is a very busy time for their business. So yeah, certainly timing-wise, not ideal. And also, not ideal to have such a critical service going out for four hours. Microsoft are reportedly going to trial new behavior in Edge, where after you close the only remaining open tab in a browser, the browser stays open to a tab with your default page. According to windowscentral.com, this feature has been requested since 2019. But personally, I don't see why. To me, logically, if you only have one open tab and you close it, then the browser should close. So I don't really see why this was like a pressing issue and people were requesting a feature to keep the browser open after closing the last tab, but I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's a quicker way of doing it than uh, opening a new tab and then closing the existing tab or just browsing to a different page with the open tab. I just, I don't understand it. This next one is from the Patch Mail Group, and it's an update to a story that I previously reported. So previously I reported that users were suggesting that they were losing Teams from their machines. And this was in part apparently because the new Teams, as it's called, <laughs> uh, was attempting to replace the classic Teams, but it just got to the point of just removing the classic Teams. Juan Miguel Severino in the Patch Mail Group 
uh, reported that in his organization he had a couple cases of this happening in November and once they blocked the rollout of the new Teams client by the Teams admin panel, there were no more cases of Teams disappearing. So it seems like it may be related according to Juan Miguel. Timing-wise, this also makes sense. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's noticed this new Teams getting forced on them. And I'm probably not the only one who's been experiencing some uh, pain from this new Teams as well. So just beware if you are upgrading. Uh, there are improvements. It certainly seems to perform better, but it's not without its problems. There was an absolutely bonkers story reported by Ars Technica. Multiple users reported seeing devices in their respective Unify admin portals that did not belong to them and were not on their own network. What's more, one user reported on Reddit that his wife got a notification from Unify Protect, which included an image from a security camera, but it was from a camera that did not belong to them. People reported that if they refreshed, the wayward devices would no longer appear in their accounts and only their devices appeared again. Ubiquiti on Thursday said it had identified the glitch and fixed the errors that caused it. Specifically, the issue was caused by an upgrade to the Unify cloud infrastructure, which they have since solved. Like, that's a very, pretty big mess up. Um, to be fair to them, they seem to be very forthcoming with information, uh, claiming that 1,216 Ubiquiti accounts were improperly associated with a separate group of 1,177 Ubiquiti accounts. So they've essentially had a group one and a group two. Uh, and these ones kind of got shuffled in the mix, I guess. And this happened on December 13th from 6.47 a.m. to 3.45 p.m. And that's UTC time. And they confirmed that during this time, a small number of users from Group 2 received push notifications on their mobile, on their devices from the consoles assigned to a small number of users from Group 1. Additionally, during this time, a user from Group 2 that attempted to log into his or her account may have been granted temporary remote access to a Group 1 account. Employees have said that the problem has been corrected and the account mix-ups are no longer occurring. This is an unfortunate black eye again for Unify, who haven't had the best 18 months in my opinion. As far as whoopsies go, this is pretty bad. But now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. My buddy Dave Brett had an excellent blog post that he shared last week. And in the post, he shows how you can foundation your Nutanix clusters with Ansible to automate the build of your Nutanix assets. So obviously automation is a big topic and Ansible and the likes of Terraform as well uh, are only gaining in popularity. So if you're a Nutanix customer, this is one that will definitely interest you. And I saw that Brian Madden and Sean Bass had a really great discussion around end user computing. Obviously both worked for VMware. Uh, Sean worked with VMware until very recently. So they kind of got the band back together to discuss all the happenings in EUC over the last few years and also kind of gave some predictions over uh, what's going to be happening in the immediate future, like a lot of the AI developments that are coming on board. It was a really interesting discussion and I strongly suggest if you work in end user computing to check it out for yourself. 
And just to kind of re-promote uh, something that I've promoted on the podcast in the last couple of weeks, uh, but my festive tech calendar session that went live on the 14th of December is now available. The recording is available on the festive tech calendar YouTube channel, and I will share a link to the video with this episode, which is episode 313, and you can find that at fivebytespodcast.com. Uh, but my session was on automating application packaging and patching, and I provide a script as well that I've created. I, my script... Honestly, it's using cloud paging application containers and cloud pager and also MSIX containers as well. But you may want to uh, take my script, fork it, and just swap out some of the lines of code for whatever deployment tool you prefer to use. Uh, but there are reasons I pick cloud pager and application containers because they lend themselves very well to application patching in particular. Uh, but also the cloud paging user group did take place and the recording for that is also available. And in that, Jurgen gave a really excellent gave a really excellent session on the custom application events capabilities for scripting with your containers. So if you've used something like ThinApp or maybe AppV and you've used maybe those machine scripts or user scripts in the configuration files and you want to see how that's done with cloud paging application containers, that'd be a really great session for you to check out. And to get that recording, uh, you just have to join the user group and I'll share a link to that as well. And when you join, you get sent a link to the Slack workspace. And within the Slack workspace, there's a meeting dash recordings Slack channel that has all the previous meetings in there. Well, that's it for this episode of the podcast. Uh, maybe just a heads up. You probably noticed this episode is out a lot earlier than usual. Uh, I think the next episode is also going to be out pretty early. And the one after that's going to be out pretty early. So, you know, it's the holidays. I was looking at the calendar and I was like, oh, I, you know, I tend to try and get an episode out, you know, around January 1st or January 2nd. That's like a recap for the year. And hey, by the way, even though it's a recap, it is not in like an easy win for me. It's not like, oh, I just chop up previous episodes and I make that into an episode like I don't have to record anything new. That's not the case. <laughs> it means a lot of work for me. I go through uh, the backlog of episodes over the last 12 months, pick out the interesting uh, news stories and scripts and tricks, and I create a new episode highlighting that and kind of have it be a reflection of the year. Uh, but I'm currently working on that episode. I want that to be out the beginning of the year, which is early in the week. So I figure this episode would be early in the week. Uh, next week's episode will be early in the week, probably maybe December 26th. And then the following episode will be early in the week as well, probably January 1st or January 2nd. And then we'll get back to the regular uh, release cadence after that. But in case this is the last episode you listen to before the holidays, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and just happy holidays for whatever holiday you may be celebrating or if you're not celebrating any holiday. I hope this episode just finds you well. But well, that's it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening.